Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Well, there's a few scriptures we're going to look at this afternoon and for each of them, we're going to sort of glance at and then move on to the next one. So we're not going to spend a long time in any one scripture. But the first one we're going to start with is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. And we're going to read a verse that's sort of in, a, in the middle of an extended statement from the Apostle Paul. But before we read that, let me give you a little bit of context. This weekend, I woke up from a dream on Saturday morning. And I won't tell you all the details of the dream because it's sort of extended and sort of personal. But in the dream, God spoke to me really clearly. And in the middle of him speaking to me, it was one statement that I said out of my mouth. But I knew it was not just a word God was speaking through me. It was also a word God was speaking to me. And when I made a statement out of my mouth, all of a sudden, revelation flooded my heart. And then on this entire theme that I'm going to be talking about in just a moment. So here was the statement that I said, and this is the topic we're going to jump into. I'm looking at an audience, and I'm preaching, and I make this statement. I say, God wants us to mature so that we can inherit joy. God wants us to mature so that we can inherit joy. Now, when I said that statement in the dream... I had this realization. I'm not saying that God demands that we have a certain degree of spiritual depth before he gives us joy. In other words, it's not as though joy he withholds until we have the right spiritual disciplines and then he finally decides to give it to us. It was not that message at all. It wasn't a works-based joy. It was the realization that until I am mature in spirit... I'm not even able to receive the joy that God wants to give me. And the reason is because in my spiritual immaturity, I keep seeking after things I think will give me joy, and I reject the things that will actually give me joy. In my own spiritual immaturity, I keep making joy about what I can achieve. Rather than realizing joy is about what God wants to give me and about what I am meant to receive. So joy in the kingdom of God is not an achievement-based emotion. Joy in the kingdom of God is a receptivity-based reality. And it's only when we begin to grow in spiritual maturity that we're able to receive that kind of real kingdom joy. So why are we going to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22? Because in this scripture the apostle Paul gives us a charge and again it's kind of awkward to start off reading this statement because it's a statement he makes in the middle of a longer sentence. So we're just jumping right into the middle of a sentence. And here's what he says in Ephesians 4 22. He charges us in this way that you put off. So he's telling you to take off something When you become a believer, when you step into the kingdom of God, 
It's not just putting on something, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is what you do. But you also have to take off something in order to put on something else. And sometimes we think stepping into the kingdom of God is only about gaining. But George said something uh, uh, last Sunday, I believe, when he was receiving the offering. And he said God has been speaking to him about the power of subtraction. We know that there's power in multiplication and in addition, right? And most of the time we think of our lives in terms of, and if I want to gain something, I've got to add something. But in the kingdom of God, gain begins with losing, not with adding. And so in order to gain the kind of joy God has for you, you have to put off a former rhythm of trying to find and achieve joy. So he charges us to put off something that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The phrase I want to focus on from this verse is the phrase, deceitful lusts. Now, in Christian vernacular, a lot of times the word lust gets a really, really bad like association. When, we, when you hear the word lust, if you're like me, most likely you think of um, inappropriate sexual lust, stay away from that word. But in the Bible's language, the word lust all by itself is not a bad word. It's not primarily always talking about sexual immorality. The word lust is fervent desire. That's why it says in some translations in the book of Galatians that the spirit lusts against the spirit and the flesh lusts, I mean, I'm sorry, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. In other words, they both have passionate desire. And so when it says here in Philippians 4.22 that the old man grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. When it says deceitful lust, this is what it's saying. There is lust that is deceitful in nature. There are things in this world that make you think they're worthy of your pursuit, but they're not actually worthy of your pursuit. It is a lust that is deceitful because there is a lust that's not deceitful, and it's the lust of the spirits when you burn with holy passion for God. That's worth giving your life to. But everything else is a deceitful lust. It makes you think that you want it, but you actually don't. And the way of the world is to be ensnared by the deceitful lust, to go after the things you think will bring you joy, but they don't actually bring you joy. And it is spiritual maturity when you come to a place of humility, realizing I cannot achieve enough to bring my own heart joy. It is spiritual maturity when you come to the place of realization that everything in your life that you need, you must first receive. Everything in your life that will sustain you, it first comes from God. So the message in the dream is that God wants to bring us to a place of maturity so that we can inherit joy. And part of that maturity looks like embracing the things that God has put around us. Now I'm going to read this scripture out of Psalm 139. I was not planning to share this one because it's been so personal to me lately. Sometimes when you're speaking, God begins to like you know, prod you in certain, certain areas, you're like, Lord, I thought that was just us. Um, so it feels a little uncomfortable, you know. So Psalm 139 
It talks about God's perfect knowledge of man. He knows us through and through. But there's a verse that's been a whole lot to me lately, Psalm 139, verse number 5. And it really begins to focus in on some things that Joe taught last week as he was talking about having an unusual peace, a different kind of peace. And praying for discernment to know the circumstances in life you're meant to fight against and to know the circumstances you're supposed to embrace as a part of God's uh, sovereignty and, and provision in your life. So this is a scripture in that process that Delaney and I have been praying quite often lately. It's Psalm 139 verse 5. The psalmist is writing and says, You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Now, that's, that verse has never meant a whole lot to me until recently. And what I've realized is that in God's providence, it's a phrase that Delaney's been using quite a bit lately in personal conversations, in God's providence, he is able to surround the circumstances around me that I'm supposed to have around me in order to receive from him what I'm supposed to receive. And in, my, in, in a place of immaturity, if I'm not able to recognize that, then I will fight against the circumstances when he's trying to use them in order to get me where I'm supposed to be. And so maturity is about humbly embracing where you are. I'm not talking about resignation. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not talking about, well, whatever will be, will be. I'm not talking about that kind of attitude. I'm talking about a maturity that has discernment within it that says, even if I don't like where I am, I'm willing to receive from God where I am because he has something for me in this season that is bigger than my preference. And God, I receive that. And that kind of posture, that kind of mode is the gateway into joy. Now, I was having this dream, and I made that statement, and then as I'm waking up from the dream, I hear from the Lord this, like, different angle about joy. As I'm waking up, I hear this phrase, ear-based joy. Ear-based joy. And in that moment, as soon as I'm waking up, and I'm hearing this phrase, ear-based joy, a couple of scriptures start coming to my mind, and I realize that Jesus lived with an ear-based joy. He didn't live with a circumstantial-based joy. He didn't live with an achievement-based joy. He lived with an ear-based joy. His joy, his meat, his sustenance was to do the will of his Father and to finish the work. And I believe the way in which we grow in spiritual maturity is not by seeking an achievement-based joy or a circumstance-based joy. It's by seeking an ear-based joy that our delight is to hear and to do the will of our Father, even if it means personal difficulty. Even if it means personal pain. Even if it means some things that we expected to come along by now or turn out differently by now, they don't turn out differently by now. And we, because of our ear, are able to embrace joy even in the middle of disappointment. So this ear-based joy, we can find it in a few different places. Let me go first to the scripture that was on my mind as I was waking up. This is Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45, if you've not read this one lately, I encourage you to find some time to spend in Psalm 45. 
It's one of those psalms that is clearly and beautifully prophesying about Jesus. And I love those psalms. They're so great. And the more familiar you get with them, the more you're able to see the beauty of Jesus. You see, in the New Testament, it does explain who Jesus is. But the New Testament really relies upon the Old Testament to give you the full picture of who Jesus is. That's why Matthew, over and over in the Gospel of Matthew, would say, such and such happened that it might be fulfilled according to the Scripture. He uses that in order to say, if you want to understand the fullness of what happened right here, you've got to go back there and look at Jesus through that lens. And so sometimes when you look at Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, you see features about him you've never seen before. Psalm 45 is one of those. Now let's go to Psalm 45, verse 7, and here's what it says. You, prophesying about Jesus, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I love this scripture because it shows that there is an anointing for gladness. How many people would like that anointing? The oil of gladness. Like, I want to be anointed just to be glad in every situation. That would be amazing. Like, Lord, please give me that anointing. And he's saying there's an anointing for gladness. And the way in which you activate that anointing, the way in which you find that anointing poured out in your life, is that you gain an appetite for righteousness. Because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You see, a lot of times we see holiness and happiness warring against each other. That is spiritual immaturity. If we see the call to holiness as death to our personal happiness... It's because we're looking at happiness through the wrong lens. Holiness and happiness are not warring against each other. Holiness is trying to invite us into a sustainable joy that will never die. If our view of happiness is disconnected from holiness, it's because we've been ensnared by the deceitful lust. Some of you may be here and maybe you're new to the Christian faith. And you see it as just a regiment of rules that's trying to kill human joy. The reality of the Christian faith is that it's an invitation into an eternal joy that will never die. That's what the Christian faith is all about. That we were designed to enjoy God forever. Anything that is outside of God will only satisfy temporarily. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament about Moses that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What that means is Moses could have stayed in Egypt and enjoyed himself, but that enjoyment would have been momentary. Instead, he chose a lifestyle of suffering because in that suffering of his flesh, he found a joy according to the spirit that would never die. So Jesus is prophesied about here in Psalm 45, 7. And it's saying that his anointing for gladness is not based on his circumstances. And it's not based on his achievements. It's not based on anything in this world. It's because he has an appetite for righteousness. He hates wickedness. He loves righteousness. And in that pursuit, there's an anointing to be glad. Now let's go to another scripture that as I was waking up, 
and heard that phrase, ear-based joy, this scripture came to my mind. So Psalm 45, 7, and then these scriptures from John chapter 15. John chapter 15, there's a handful of verses here. They're just stunning. This is another passage. If, again, if you're kind of looking where to spend time in the Bible, Psalm 45 is great. John 15. Baptize your mind in John 15. So much that is captured here through the words of Jesus. John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse number 9. Jesus starts off in this passage, John 15, 9, by making a stunning statement. Here's what he says. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. It's so easy to brush past that. As the Father loves, as the Father loves Jesus, the way the Father feels about Jesus is the way that Jesus feels about you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says this, abide in my love. Make your home in my love. Make that your safe place. Think about it. Don't run away from it. Make sure that your heart is living and breathing in the reality that I have an eternal, undying love for you. Then he makes a very interesting statement in verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now let's break this down. Because if you're not careful, you can read verse number 10 and go, okay, so does that mean Jesus only loves me when I obey? And the answer is no. His love for you is eternal whether you obey him or disobey him. But your experience with the love of God is conditional based upon where you position your heart. And he's saying the way in which you abide in my love is by obeying my commandments. When you disobey my commandments, it's a sign that you no longer are operating in the conviction that I love you. You are now believing that something else can satisfy you other than me. You're now living in the lie that you need something outside of me to provide your joy. So the way in which you abide in my love and actively participate in my provision for you, my Psalm 139 provision, you hedge me in behind and before. The way in which you say in that is you operate in obedience because when you obey me, it's a sign that you trust me. It's a sign that you actually believe my love is enough. And Jesus said, just as I obey my Father and abide in his love. The reason why Jesus could perfectly trust the Father, I mean perfectly obey the Father, is because he perfectly trusts the Father. He knew that even if obedience meant the cross, there was not some kind of ulterior motive in the Father's heart. He knew that even if obedience meant death, that even the crushing was for his good and the Father's glory. So the way in which we abide in the love of God is we obey the commandments of God. When we're not walking in obedience, it doesn't weaken his love. 
but it does take us outside of the provision of what he's provided for us, of the good he's intended for us. Now, in verse 11, Jesus makes an interesting statement because then he connects this to joy, ear-based joy. So we just talked about the love that he has for us. It's the same that the Father has for him. Then he says, if you want to abide in that love, live in the ongoing personal experience of that love, then you need to walk in obedience. It's a sign that you trust me and you trust my love for you. And then he says, here will be the result. If you abide in my love by obeying my commandments, here's the result. Verse number 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is crazy that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's talking about two different joys, my joy and your joy, my joy and your joy. My question is, what is his joy? We just read his joy, Psalm 45, 7. It's an anointing for gladness in every circumstance because your appetite has matured out of the deceitful lust into a place of desiring the righteousness of God. And Jesus is saying, if you walk in obedience, then that Psalm 45, 7 joy, my joy, it will be in you. And you'll have an anointing for gladness. And when you experience my joy, guess what? Your joy will be full. Not achievement-based, not circumstantial-based, not expectation-based. Your joy will be full because it will be an ear based joy built upon spiritual maturity where you finally stop believing the lie that the things of this world can satisfy you that the right circumstances will finally satisfy you that the right money in your account will finally satisfy you that the right relationship will finally satisfy you where you finally say with humility God you know what I need more than I know what I need you hedge me in behind and before. So, Lord, give me the discernment to recognize what I should be fighting against and what I should embrace. And may that anointing of gladness, that anointing for joy, may it be unlocked. May I live in a place of obedience to you. Not because I'm trying to earn your love, but because I want to abide in your love. And as I abide in your love, your joy is in me, and my joy is full to overflowing. Amen? Amen? Amen. I want to invite the band to go ahead and join me up here. In just a moment, we're going to pray. Because I'm going to just be super honest with you about something. Oh, I hope this is okay. Sometimes it's hard to sing the lyrics, you're never going to let me down. Not because they're not true but because sometimes they don't feel like they're true. Can I be super vulnerable? I'm a little let down that we're in this location right now. It's nothing against the location. It's nothing about that at all. It's just, it's just what I'm saying is we, as, we as a church body have been contending for some things. And in that posture of contending... The Lord has spoken to us some things, crazy things through dreams and prophetic words and confirmation. And when I look at where we are right now and what he said, I'm like, 
this, this doesn't look like what you said. So what do we do? What do I do? In the meantime, when we're on this journey of contending and believing that what we pray, Jesus said if we ask it in his name according to his will, he will give us. We already have it. But when I have prayed according to your will in your name and I still don't have what I asked for, what do I do? I think this message contains some hints about what we do. We realize that along the way, maturity says, I'm going to find a joy in you that is even bigger than the total fulfillment to my prayers. Joe said it last week. Actually, I've heard him say it a couple of times, and it's ministered to me so much. He says, this is the confidence we can have in prayer, that if we ask for something from God, again, in his name, according to his will, we can know two things, become of two things. Number one, that he's going to give us what we ask for. Or number two, that he's going to give us what we would have asked for if we knew what God knows. And that has been such a guiding revelation. It says, God, I'm going to ask you boldly for things. I'm going to believe your word. I'll look like a fool in the eyes of the world because I'm praying to a God who is unseen. And sometimes it looks like my prayers are unheard. But on the way to them being fulfilled, I know you are never going to let me down. But the process does require maturity to have joy when I do feel let down. Because this is not the end of the story. And your presence is better than the stuff. Your presence is better than what I think I need.